Welcome to Food Safety University as we continue our conversation on trauma and toxic cultures. And this week we're going to talk about how we got here as a food manufacturing industry. This one you're probably not going to need a pen and paper for, but listen up and listen with your whole heart. I'll see you on the inside. Welcome to Food Safety University. I'm Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele, and this is the one podcast where you can get everything you need to know about food safety and how to run a food manufacturing plant for all of those small and local food manufacturers. If you are into local and sustainable food and agriculture, this is the podcast for you. Every week we cover new and original ideas around how to get the most out of your HACCP planning and how to get your plant up and running and continue running in a way that fills your dreams. So grab a pen and paper because every week you're going to need it. See you on the inside. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the podcast. Super excited to be here today and super excited to be talking about this incredibly important topic. I know trauma and toxic workplace cultures are not the easiest topics to discuss because where I mean like honestly where do we have a chance where do we have a chance to discuss any of this we really don't right I mean if there's there I mean there are a few conversations here and there on LinkedIn about toxic workplace cultures but is there any place that's talking about trauma and toxic workplace cultures because here's you know here's what I really truly think I think that our toxic workplace cultures are created by people who are traumatized. You know, we have um, we have a saying around our house that if you knew better, you would do better. Okay, if my kids like when my kid is having a meltdown, right? If he knew how to do better, he would do better. But in that moment, he doesn't. So, okay, or she doesn't. But my daughter doesn't really have meltdowns, right? If a little baby knew how to communicate in a way that wasn't crying, they would. That's one of the reasons we learn to talk, right? We do better and we get better results. So when we look at trauma and toxic workplace cultures, I want to instill in the idea in everybody that if people knew how to do better, they would do better. But the reason they don't know how to do better is because they themselves are traumatized. Now, you know, we talked about little t trauma, capital T trauma. I on 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 some level, it's all just trauma. <laughs> okay. And it's not something to shy away from and it's not something to be afraid of. Um, okay. It is a reality of the world that we live in and a world that we work in as we are here in the universe. Some kind and so how did we get here is the topic of today's conversation. And this is going to be a bit of a sciency conversation because we got here through our nervous systems. So, okay. And I say systems because there's certainly more than one, one nervous system. Okay. And when we look at our nervous systems, we can start to understand 
how the heck it is that we got here. Okay, so today's podcast is going to have some references uh, to some people, um, specifically a man named Dr. Bruce Perry. He just wrote a book with Oprah called What Happened to You, right? Because we got here because of things that happened to us not intrinsic properties of us that are broken, all right? And that's the first place we are going to start. Um, I am going to start with this idea that you are not broken and you don't need fixing, okay? You have heard me say this on the podcast before, but I really, really mean this, okay? No matter what is going on in your own life, um, what is going on at work, um, your intrinsic wholeness um, um, and your intrinsic worthiness are 100% and complete. But one of the things that trauma does and the trauma a toxic workplace culture inflicts on us is separation from our wholeness, okay? And then we take that separation as truth rather than our wholeness as truth, okay? And so before we even look at, at, at a nervous system, okay, I wanna talk about the paradigm of wholeness, okay? And so a paradigm is a worldview, it's a model, it's a way of, it's, it's the frame um, within which you see various and assorted things, okay? We don't always know the paradigms within which uh, we are operating, okay? Um, and, but sometimes we do, okay? Sometimes we know we are operating, you know, under a USDA grant of inspection. Um, that's a paradigm. It's both a, you know, I mean, like it's a, it's a, uh, a, a set of rules and regulations that came out of the paradigm that meat needs to be regulated to protect the public health. Okay, that's a paradigm. And so the paradigm of wholeness is a whole new frame within which to look at yourself. And one of the ways that we got here in workplaces full of traumatized people is a whole lot of people believing that their separation from their wholeness is who they are, not their wholeness themselves. Um, okay. And these paradigms are not just mental frames or mental models. Um, they live within our bodies, okay? We've done a lot of somatic work over the course of these couple of episodes. Uh, we'll be doing more, um, okay? And when we have this separation from our body because of trauma that happens at an early age, especially ages from zero to three as the brain is developing, and we'll talk about that just a little bit more, okay? Um, it can have profound and lasting impacts on our body. If you want to read more about this, I talked about this a couple weeks ago when the body keeps the score. Um, if you look at those show notes from a couple weeks ago, you'll see some um, you'll see some URLs to go get um, those uh, uh, to go get some of those books around body and body healing, um, right? But one of the most healing steps that you can take back to your place of wholeness, back onto your journey of wholeness, is to recognize that you are part of a greater whole and that your whole self is on a journey towards healing, towards resilience, towards regeneration. Okay. 
So as we go forward in these podcast episodes, and in all the podcast episodes, honestly, um, keeping this wholeness in mind makes the whole trauma story a lot easier to handle. Can you believe you're broken? Of course. It is. Is it a frame that helps you? Well, I don't know that it's really helped so far. So, but if you are interested in keeping up with that, you just go right ahead, right? So even then the worst of things is part of the greater whole. And that can be hard to hear. It was hard to hear when I first, when I first heard it. But if you sit with that and you allow for the healing that comes in with that, it really does make a difference. Uh, okay. Um, and when we are in isolation, just looking at our traumas, everything looks good or bad. And that's a lot of like black and white thinking and a lot of polarity. But when you tune into your body and you look at it, um, and, and, and you are able to disconnect from your thoughts about what happened to you back into your whole self, you can see, you will start to see a journey, um, a journey towards wholeness and a journey towards understanding the larger picture. But to understand the larger picture, you got to understand the smaller picture. And that's really sort of... Um, that's really sort of, of, of where we are. And this, you know, I want to, you know, we've talked a little bit about spiritual bypassing, but this is the opposite of bypassing. This is really diving in and understanding just what the heck um, happened to you and happened to your nervous system so that you can be part of the greater whole. So let's talk about what that, like, actually looks like. Okay. And so... There is, you have, like, you have a nervous system, right? All right. And um, your nervous systems are, um, they are, they're, there are a whole bunch of ways that we look at your set of nervous systems. Okay. And your nervous systems are literally the nerves and the synapses and the chemicals that go across those synapses and travel through your neurons to make make your make your body work okay and we start in the central nervous system okay so most people look at the central nervous system as the brain and the spinal cord um you are taking out when you are slaughtering cattle and you split them down the middle and take out that spinal cord you are taking out central nervous system Okay, your brain connects to your spinal cord through your brain stem, and um, your brain stem is your most pr primitive part of uh, your most primitive part of the brain. Uh, okay, um, then then your central nervous system goes into uh, the rest of your body. Okay, and you have a peripheral nervous system. Your peripheral nervous system is divided into a couple of parts. You've got this, the, the voluntary system, okay, which is what allows you to, which is what brings information in and out and allows you to like operate your body, okay? A lot of that nervous system is organized in a place called your cerebellum, very close to your brainstem, okay? Um, and then you have your autonomic nervous system. And your autonomic nervous system, okay, is the part you have no control over. 
<laughs> okay. It is vastly more complicated, I think, than, you know, having dissected all of this. Um, it's vastly more complicated than your, um, your somatic um, or voluntary nervous system. And your... Um, your autonomic nervous system. Okay, so remember, peripheral nervous system has two branches, the somatic nervous system and then the autonomic. The autonomic itself has two branches. Okay, and there's the sympathetic branch and the parasympathetic branch. Sympathetic branch is uh, fight and flight and and, and parasympathetic is what, you know, we always call in vet school, feed and breed. Um, okay. Your sympathetic branch, when you are super, 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 super activated, okay, um, is what allows the, uh, the like, all, everything to dilate so you get oxygen flow to your muscles so you can run the hell away. You can escape or you can fight back. Your parasympathetic branch, okay, um, allows your system to rest and it shunts um, blood flow away from your, um, like your muscles, your arms and your legs and that sort of thing and into your core, into your digestive and reproductive organs so that you can, um, so that you can, you know, feed and breathe, all right? And so though that organization of the nervous system has all sorts of information coming into it, right? And then going away from it. And what ends up happening is, is that as we grow, if we are, um, if we are the victims of trauma, okay, there is a interruption in the development of the neural pathways in both the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system. Like literally the neurons and the axons and the synapses don't develop correctly, okay? And so there is a, the researcher that I talked about, Dr. Bruce Perry, um, he has this neurosequential model of brain development. Okay, so when you were growing in your mama's uh, belly, okay, your there are parts of your body that develop first. Okay, your your uh, uh, spinal cord develops very very early on, and your brainstem develops really early on. Okay, then as you grow, your brain develops from the inside out. And the cortex, which is the outermost covering of your brain, um, doesn't even finish developing. You know, in women, it's at about 25. And in men, it's about 27. Um, okay, so the reason, you know, everybody talks about this, the reason um, guys have higher insurance when they're teenager than girls is because they literally don't have the synapses to make the choices that we wish they would make. Um, okay. So what happens, it's actually really super cool. So when an, a mammal is born, they are not born with a fully developed brain. Almost no mammals are developed with a fully developed brain. And the, the development of the brain, like the cortex cells, actually have to migrate through the rest of the brain um, to the outside of the brain in order for the brain to finish developing. Okay, and so if we look at it from a, a, a kind of lower level of the brain, brainstem and cerebellum, moving up, we go from things like regulating your central nervous system, regulating heart rate and temperature and blood pressure, um, to regulating sleep and appetite, 
right? And then getting more into being able to organize, okay? Being able to regulate emotions and attachments and then being able to draw associations between reward systems, okay, whether they're positive or negative reward systems. And, you know, so when you see this in, in babies, a baby cries and mama picks them up. A baby cries and mama picks them up, right? Around here, we believe you can't spoil babies, so we always pick our babies up. And they learn to associate communication with getting what, getting what they need, okay? That cannot, that doesn't develop immediately. I mean, anybody who has ever had a colicky kid knows that you can spend months with a colicky kid as you are trying to create um, a bond with that child. But that attachment doesn't come immediately. Now, fortunately, we have hormonal regulation overriding that. Okay, so oxytocin in everybody's system sort of makes that makes those neurons fire. But in order for that to work, you have to have secure attachments. If in the first three years of your life you had no secure attachments, very difficult to make those pathways appear later in life without a lot of work, okay? So that's what I mean by looking at the narrow scope and saying, okay, this is where I am on my journey towards wholeness. This is what, this is what happened. And it didn't happen because I was a bad person. It happened because of things that happened to me, okay? And so then what you can, then, then what ends up happening is, is as a baby grows and develops and as their brain continues to grow and develop, the neurons that are created either create neurons that create a sense of attachment or they don't. And when we go out into the world and we don't have secure attachments that had started in ages zero to three, can be very challenging to develop them. And we can have developed ways to interact with the world that worked when we were kids or we learned when we were kids and worked well enough to allow us to grow to be adults that have jobs and, and, and have even been placed in positions of authority. But then when we try and lead others or we get to our place where we're feeling a little comfortable, all of a sudden all of this stuff comes up again and things fall apart and we have, you know, we have a very hard time at work and we don't treat people at work the way we wish we treated them and we're reacting, but we don't know why, okay? And so that's like, that's the kind of the anatomy, like literally the anatomy of how we, uh, how we got here. But what we can then look at is, is then as you're a fully grown adult and you're at work and you're trying to navigate the world around you and something happens, you have what's called a startle response. Okay, and whenever you get startled, you take in information that is kind of too much too soon, it activates your uh, autonomic nervous system, and specifically, it activates your sympathetic nervous system. Okay, activates your sympathetic nervous system, and then because you're at work, right, you want to have this activated response, but you generally can't do what your body is asking you to do. Okay, because if you're, you know, and this has happened to me, oh my God. So I don't know that I've told this story on the podcast, but a million years ago, 
I was working in a lab and I, as you know, any of you who have worked with me know, I love paperwork. I love getting things organized for audits. And I was in a lab and we were about to get an audit and I was going through some paperwork and I looked and I, um, and, and we were, I mean, the audit was coming in like three weeks and there were a significant number of medical records. This was back when I was a lab animal vet. There were significant number of records that just needed I's dotted, T's crossed, you know, like, you know, because medical records have to be pretty much perfect to pass your audit, right? And so my supervisor had gone off to go do something um, for a couple of days and I was kind of in charge of the lab and I did all of my, you know, like I did all of the, the TPR as we call them, you know, like all the um, exams we had to do on all the animals and made sure everything was going correctly. And then I worked on the, then I worked on the paperwork because that's why, uh, um, you know, like I thought that would be super helpful. So I really thought I was helping my boss. Um, and uh, then I remember the day she came back, I had, um, I was in the locker room changing because we changed into scrubs before work um, and I was half naked in the locker room and she comes storming in and she is, I just have this picture in my head so clearly of her hollering at me and pointing her finger at me and saying, I can't believe that you did this. I can't believe that you did this. And it was my birthday. Um, and I was like, I wanted to defend myself but I, I like literally couldn't. I like literally, literally couldn't. And that's a freeze response, right? And I just remember being, I mean, I was like half naked, guys, and um, frozen, panicking, sweating, and being like, okay, 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 I'll take care of it. I don't know what you need me to do, but I will definitely take care of it, right? And I was stuck in that pattern. Like, and until I started doing like the trauma work healing that I, started doing, um, I never really resolved that and, and looked at it as part of a larger pattern of, of how I interact with authority figures and that sort of thing. But that's like, or, I mean, I know that happens to a lot of people, okay, where somebody hollers at you at work, you are in a defense, like you are in an absolutely defenseless position, like literally sitting there half naked, there was nothing I could do right in that moment that wouldn't be considered threatening to my boss, right? And it's not like I could like lose this job. Um, and it was, prof I mean, this, this incident stayed with me for a very, very long time. But now I look back at it and I can see my freeze response and how altered I was and how activated I was and how I could do nothing about it, um, okay? And the first step in self-repair of that is to recognize that I was there, okay? Um, and recognize that what happened wasn't okay and what happened wasn't my fault. When somebody is coming at you like that at work in a toxic workplace environment, that stuff is never your fault. Now, it can certainly seem like our fault, and the people who are hollering at us are definitely trying to make the issue our fault, right? But I think when you take a step back, most of us can see it was 
it was always about them, right? But it's the rare human being that can see that in the instance, right? And even even now, um, if I get too caught up in something, um, and it doesn't happen a whole lot, but I can get way too caught up in something and then recognize, wait a minute, no, this person is not treating me well. That is on them. It is not on me. This is me. This is my body. This is my reaction. And that is them and their issues and their reaction. Okay. But it's when people don't understand that and they like tie those two things together. That's how we get where we are right now in a lot of our toxic workplace environments. Okay. And so what we are then going to be doing for the rest of this series. All right. We're going to be talking about what do the patterns look like at work? How does this manifest at work? And we're going to be talking about that next week so that you can start looking at the patterns and seeing how you can reframe it so that you can make the decisions that are right with you. Okay. Because I am not here to blow smoke and say, if you're in a toxic workplace environment, you should definitely stay there um, until you love that work environment. I'm never going to tell you that because that would be ridiculous. And we're not in that business. Mm, um, but what I am going to tell you is, is that unless you recognize the frames within which you are seeing things and you are understanding how you show up at your workplace environment and why you show up the way that you show up, you can change workplace environments and your situation will really not change. Okay, it may be super good for the first six months or a year or whatever, but the same patterns will keep repeating themselves. Okay, so that's really why it's so important to understand how we got here. I hope you have found this useful. Highly recommend that book, What Happened to You. I think we had it linked in the previous show notes. I will link up uh, Dr. Bruce Perry's Neurosequential Modeling so you can go take a look at it. It's really quite fascinating. Come find me on LinkedIn, ask questions if you have them. And it makes a super, super big difference if you guys leave a podcast review. Um, and I try and get in and I read all of them and, um, it really helps the podcast get out to more people. So thank you so much, everybody. Y'all have a week full of awesome and I'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to the Food Safety University podcast. We'll be back next week, but in the meantime, I want you to go to dirigofoodsafety.com and go check out all the things that we have. If you haven't gotten your HACCP download, go get that or book a call with me and let's talk about getting you into Food Safety University. I'll see you on the inside.